Welcome to Here's to Your Health with Joshua Lane. Here's to Your Health discusses the current thinking and wellness, bringing you the most influential thinkers in beauty, fitness, and longevity. Your host, Joshua Lane, was part of the Dr. Ann Wigmore team that helped bring wheatgrass, sprouts, and raw foods to a worldwide audience. And now the host of Here's to Your Health, Joshua Lane. Welcome to this edition of Here's to Your Health. I'm your host, Josh Lane. Four out of five people who are blind don't have to be. Since 1978, SEVA Foundation, that's S-E-V-A, has provided sight-saving surgeries, eyeglasses, medicine, and other eye care services to more than 50 million, that's more than 50 million people in underserved communities around the world. And you can actually literally free someone from blindness for only $50. And the head of SEVA Foundation is Kate Moynihan, and Kate is with us today. Kate, thank you for your time. Well, thank you, Joshua, for having us. Very, very happy to have you on. I I know of your work. I've known of it for a very long time, and obviously you, you do some great work. But Kate, how did you come to be part of SEVA? I had a, a large or really big uh, international relief and development career. Uh, I spent over 25 years of my life working in mostly man-made disasters like the Balkans or the Middle East. And uh, I even gave birth to my daughter in Cairo, Egypt, uh, during the second intifada. Huh. Uh, so, you know, I've, I've been a relief and development person. And when I came back to the States in 2010, I was first aligned with some uh, chief innovation officer for a local organization. And and I was fortunate enough to notice this opportunity at SEVA. And uh, it's one of those rare moments where it, I felt like I'd spent my life getting ready for, for, for something exceptional and special as SEVA. And I was lucky enough that the board of directors saw that too. And I, I got said yes to. <laughs> wow. So you, you've been there since 2010. No, I've been, I've been at SEVA since 2017 back oh. in the United States full time since 2010. I had left in the early 1990s. Wow. And so so really, so you saw some rough things throughout the globe in your earlier career. I did. And I think you and I were speaking about it earlier, you know, your connection to the Mothers Against Drunk Driving. What I really appreciate about the work of Save It's a, it's really a non-divisive social justice issue. It's a, in the numbers that you cited at the top of your program, it's almost biblical in nature when you think about the number of people whose lives have been changed. And that's direct. Those are direct services to individuals. And then when you take a minute and think about the millions of people who weren't going to school or having a job because they were caretaking for that family member that might have had a visual impairment or couldn't see well, it you can do a quick times two. Right, right. Now, it really does seem like remarkably important work. And now, which countries are you... Literally, in all, almost all, every country around the globe? We're in 20 countries, and we have long relationships in those countries with strong kind of cultural competence, and as well as a lot of our work, Joshua, is, is based on uh, really good science and really good data. And it's an unusual combination when you think about a counterculture uh, organization that was started by an epidemiologist and a clown from Woodstock and a, and a spiritual leader like Ram Dass. It was, we've always been really rooted in science. And so when we're in countries, we approach that work very methodically and thoroughly. 
with a with a strong cultural competence. So we're in all major um, all the different regions. So we're in Asia, we're in Africa, Latin America, and even here in the U.S. through our work with Native Nation communities. Right, right. For those uh, tuning into the show, our guest is Kate Monahan, and Kate is the uh, CEO of SEVA Foundation, S-E-V-A, SEVA Foundation, known for their treatment of people with vision issues, and they have been doing great work. They were founded in 1978. Kate just mentioned, you know, Richard Alpert, uh, also known as Ram Dass, the influential, uh, I, I like to call him the, the influential educational philosopher, and I like to compare uh, Richard Alpert, also known as Ram Dass, to Emerson or Thoreau. Of course, he is 100 years later than those men, a little more than 100 years, uh, but really, I think he's in the same ballpark as those uh, influential American uh, scholars, uh, quite frankly. And Wavy Gravy uh, is known for a lot, a lot of people know him because uh, in the Woodstock movie, you know, he said uh, they just call up and ask for room service for 400,000 people. It was a clever line, and uh, he is a, also a longtime advocate of uh, social change in a good way. Uh, and Kate, who was the ophthalmologist who helped found the organization as well? Well, there are several scientists. Dr. Larry Brilliant is one, and his mm-hmm. wife, Erja, also a doctor. Uh, they're both epi- both epidemiologists and academics, and they were part, interestingly, it was Larry Brilliant who was part of the Nicole de Grasse. She is from the uh, WHO, and he was part of that small team, but mighty team that helped eradicate smallpox. Wow. Right? So that our origins are very much around data science, but also the idea that principal threats to people's dignity, health threats to people's dignity that can be taken on, that money or access can solve, are worth trying to take on and with all the might that you have. So that he was he was at the he's a founding he's part of the core four along with Wavy and and, and Wavy's wife Jahanna Romney. Right, right. Yeah, people all who have a long-term track record of really doing very good work. And for people listening, and and they've heard of SEVA, S-E-V-A, SEVA Foundation, what exactly do you do with people, for example, say, uh, in Guatemala? That's a perfect question. Uh, really, uh, first and foremost, you know, let's start by briefly explaining like 90% of the vision impairments are preventable or treatable. And more than half of them are caused by cataracts, which can be treated in that $50 surgery for the 15 minutes. But the, when you do, uh, when you look closer at the 50 and the 15 minutes, there's tremendous amounts of science and world, you know, kind of economies of scale that go into why we can do it for that amount of money. So it's a nice tagline, but there's a lot of sophistication that goes into it. Just like Wavy's line at Woodstock. He's an incredibly thoughtful, brilliant poet. So that line encapsulated something more than just something witty. It was also contextualized within, you know, the context of, uh, you know, Woodstock. So what we do is we work closely with implementing or local organizing partners who have an expertise, have cultural competence, know the language, and also more importantly, have a vested interest in growing a sustainable solution to the issues of uh, that are preventing people from living their best life. And we work closely with them. And so when we do that, several things have unfolded for us. We focus in on access. If you can't get to the care, we can't give you the care. So we really work on um 
projects and, and, and um, activities that bring care closer to the people that have the hardest time getting it. And that tends to be women and girls, unfortunately. So we have a strategy there and we work through a, a program that allows for that. We also build the capacity of local people on the ground. And, you know, you probably have talked to a lot of social justice groups and we training, training, training. But our training program is also a jobs creation program. We're putting people to work. And they're helping to make sure that the one ophthalmologist or the two ophthalmologists that might be in that area are really performing at their highest level. Because when they perform at their highest level, more people get the care that they need. So we do a whole intervention around that. So there's a, I'd say there's at least six core activities that we do as an organization. We roll them out in consultation with our local partners. We listen hard to them. And in Guatemala, over the past several decades that we've worked with our partner there, they've come forward with a very bold idea to end avoidable blindness in the next 10 years. Wow. And I, what they're meaning there is that they're not going to stop people from needing services. What they're saying is that access, affordability, sustainability, all of the abilities, they're going to be tackled. So that if you happen to be with your family in Guatemala and one of your children or your nephew or niece needs support, you're within a walkable or a reasonable distance of that care. It's affordable to you and you can be assured that it's going to be world-class care. That's what they're going to, that's what they're aiming to do. Wow. Uh, our guest uh, is Kate Moynihan. Kate Moynihan is the CEO of SIVA, S-E-V-A, SIVA Foundation. And they do work with restoring people's vision uh, with uh, inexpensive eyeglasses and care. It's just remarkable. Seems like a, obviously a very important thing to do. And Kate, also you did mention that you do focus on gender equality and you provide paid occupations and important occupations for women to be part of the community in, in a substantial way. Is that it? Yeah, that's, it's beautifully put. That's exactly right. That our training initiative, we, it's men and women. So I don't want it to sound like it's an exclusive, but it tends to trend towards women. And this allows a woman to maybe delay marriage by a few years, uh, get an afford get a livable or a supplemental wage into the household and so and then at the same time serve the community so if you're going into one of our vision centers which are like smaller community based uh they're not as big as a hospital and they can address 80 percent of the eye care needs and this is one of our biggest strategies you're being met by someone who might have grown up in that community or you saw them go to school or you know they're a, they're a fellow parent and they've been trained and they can help you with your glasses or your eye drops or any kinds of referrals that you might need to get onward care at the hospital all right so that sounds actually very worthwhile and do you, are more women than men prone to vision issues no I think that that's an equal opportunity uh, thing. What tends to happen is more men than women traditionally have been, had access and the um, means, the economic means to get the care that they need. All right. Now, for the listeners of Here's to Your Health, how can they contact SEVA, S-E-V-A, SEVA Foundation? How can they contact you to find out more about your good work and potentially be involved in the work? Well, that would be terrific. I, I think the easiest pathway is go to our website and it's www.seva.org. So it's a, it's a very straightforward, um, website and you should be able to go in and there's an information and you can ask to be put in touch with one of our staff and we can talk to you about volunteering or about joining some of our initiatives or bringing your talents and expertise to the world and we can have that conversation. 
All right. Well, that sounds that sounds that sounds doable. Now, uh, you actually your organization is able to give a a male or a female a, a a cataract surgery in a hospital situation for fifty dollars. Is that correct? Yes, that's the aggregate across the globe. So it might be a little more in some regions and a little less in other, but across the globe, that's a fair representation of. We've gotten it to a point where it's so affordable and it's so sustainable, right? And it's also so accessible that that's the, that's the aggregate, that's sort of the uh, aggregate amount that it costs worldwide. Well, I know that it's considered a very uh, remarkable surgery, but, and this $50 surgery, uh, it's done in a, in a hospital, you know, in an operating room. I mean, can I ask how how is it done for $50? Oh, I see what you mean. Combination of a few things. First and foremost is because the hospitals and partners that we work with might have a business model that has some patients paying a little bit more and subsidizing and helping those that can't. But the amount that we're, that, that when you come up with that number, it's because it's happening so often and we've lowered the price of key elements of that surgery. For example, the interocular lens itself. Back in the early days, that was a very expensive piece of medicine that was being installed in your eye if you had your cataract surgery. And now through a partnership with RO Lab in India, that is now being produced at a significantly less rate. It's a cheaper product. And all of a sudden, what was hundreds and hundreds of dollars is now under $10. So we enter the space by disrupting some of the business pieces, by growing the talent on the ground, and then by working with the hospitals to make sure that their financial business models allow for that type of a statement that it's $50 with a 15-minute surgery. Right. And may I ask this, are the people giving the surgery, are they MDs, are they DOs, I mean, are they RNs? I mean, who who is doing the surgery? Can I ask that? It's doctors in each of the it's, – it's qualified, accredited doctors in each of the countries. Wow. And, the, yeah. and these physicians oftentimes volunteer their talent. Is that it? Not necessarily. <clears throat> we do have some volunteers, and we have had that, in, especially several of SAVA's founding members or board members would volunteer of their time and go and help with teaching. There's a lot of reciprocity. Some of our doctors came back with innovations that they learned in the field, and then we also sh- they also were sharing innovations that they had developed so the short answer is that they're all doctors in their communities. They, they are paid staff. And part of, but part of what's happening there is the, again, it's a business model, just like it might be with Sutter Health or Kaiser here in California. You know, they're able to do this pro bono or this community based work because they're part of a business model that covers other, you know, other, um, other aspects of the work. Wow. wow. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Kate Moynihan is our guest, the CEO of SEVA, S-E-V-A, SEVA Foundation, doing great work since 1978 to restore vision around the globe uh, with more than, get this, more than 50 million people, uh, more than 50 million people in underserved communities. This is just a remarkable accomplishment. Uh, uh, Kate, uh, we have uh, just a minute left. Please give the listeners of Here's to Your Health a contact so they can go to your website, find out more about your good work, and help you. Great. Please come and visit www.seva.org and learn how science, the love of science and good data has been perfectly paired with a compassion for humanity. Wow, that's great.
That's great. And may I ask, so you have a, I know just a, just a couple of weeks ago, you had a little get together for Wavy Gravy. You're celebrating his what, his 87th birthday? Yes, that's right. Yeah. And how'd that go? It was a blast, but you know, it's hard not to have a blast with someone like him in the room. This was a beautiful gathering of friends and family and um, people who care about him deeply. And, um, uh, it was a sold out crowd at the, uh, here in, at the theater in the Herbst Theater in San Francisco. Um, and, uh, it was, I, it's, it's indescribable. There were, uh, aerial artists and poetry and, uh, footage from his Saint Misbehaving, uh, documentary film. Uh-huh. He and his wife were front and center and, uh, they had a blast and I think it was, it was a real party. Well, thank you. Our guest has been Kate Moynihan, the CEO of SEVA, S-E-V-A, SEVA Foundation, the organization that has been responsible to date for the eye care services, sight-saving surgeries, eyeglasses, medicine, and other eye care services to more than 50 million people. That's 50 million people in underserved communities around the world. This is Josh Lane listening to Here's to Your Health. When we take a short break, we'll be right back after these important messages. Medical scientists worldwide are encouraging people to eat more fish. Most American diets are low in cold water fish that are abundant in important omega-3 oils. DHA and EPA are the vital components of fish oil that provide healthy benefits. Not only are they crucial for brain and vision development, they're very important for cardiovascular health. Carlson, America's leading Norwegian fish oil brand, specializes in both great-tasting soft gels that are easy to swallow and fish oil liquids that don't taste fishy. That's right, Carlson provides the most extensive line of fish oils to meet all your needs. You can take Carlson fish oils with confidence. For Carlson fish oils are tested for purity, potency, and freshness. Ask for Carlson Norwegian fish oils today. That's right. Ask for Carlson Norwegian fish oils today. Welcome to this edition of Here's to Your Health. I'm your host, Josh Lane. I'm happy to say that my guest is the singer-songwriter Tom Paxton. And now everyone has their own cultural frame of reference. And for those of you who are not familiar with uh, Tom Paxton, uh, he is an influential uh, singer and songwriter who has been compared uh, in the the same stage uh, with uh, Woody Guthrie and Pete Seeger. And that's... uh, Heavy duty, actually, and uh, I'm thrilled that he's oh, on the yeah. show. Oh, yeah. He's on the show. <laughs> there was, at that time, a very popular uh, book of photographs, a collection of photographs called, um, uh, the, what was it, The Family of Man. Oh, yes. Uh, oh. And you remember that book? I do. I do remember it was that. a great book. Well, the Weavers were a kind of a singing family of man. Uh, they sang songs from everywhere. And, uh, I have never, I have not done that. Uh, I have written most of the songs I sing, and indeed all of them, uh, that I sing or co-wrote. Uh, but that vision 
of humanity uh, has, has always stayed alive in me. Uh, that I've I've never been a commercial songwriter, although I I hasten to add that I see nothing wrong in that. Right. Um, uh, for God's sake, the Be- the Beatles were commercial songwriters, and I think that that they were the best writers of the 20th century. Right. Um, right. Uh, so. Uh, the, the, I, I don't have any uh, scaff, uh, any podium to climb on when I say that I, I am not. But I, I've had hit songs, yes, uh, but they've almost all been off the wall. Well, um, what, what, what songs? I, what hit songs were off the wall in your opinion that were big for you? Well, I mean, to have a song, uh, a song like "The Marvelous Toy" be a hit is. Right. Uh, unexpected. Ah, okay. Um, I, I, but I guess the most commercial song I've written was, um, the last thing on my mind. Right. Um, uh, but Ramblin' Boy is a, it's not a commercial song, uh, but it was a hit. Right. Bottle of Wine, the same thing. These are, they're much closer to traditional folk than they are to popular music. And that's, that's just the way I am. I mean, uh, uh, I would, I'm sure I would have enjoyed having more and bigger hits than I've had, but that, that's, that's not the way it worked for me. And I'm, I'm glad of it now. I mean, I, I, I'm happy with, uh, what, the way things have gone for me, uh, I feel very, very lucky. Right, right. Uh, for those just tuning in, we're, we're speaking with Tom Paxton, the singer-songwriter who has uh, been so influential. Tom, if I can say this, you've always kind of reminded me a little bit of Glenn Campbell. That is, everybody knows how talented the person is. Oh. The guy has enormous success, but he does so very quietly. He doesn't make a big, doesn't need to make a big fuss about it. And that was the thing I, I kind of really thought about you and Glenn Campbell. Uh, you know, major, uh. major, major stars, and yet kind of quiet about it. And the reason I say that, because I know that Glenn Campbell, when the Smothers Brothers got bounced off their TV show, they replaced that show with Glenn Campbell's show. And Glenn Campbell was what? just as sneakily uh, progressive as the Smothers Brothers, but he didn't announce it. And so, and he was a bigger star, I mean, a bigger star than the Smothers Brothers, and he had the same kind Huge of star. great show. And so you kind of do the same thing, and you've had this enormous longevity in music. You know, uh, Graham Parsons is a name that most everyone has kind of forgotten, and yet he would, I remember how influential Graham Parsons was, and Graham Parsons recorded some of your songs, did he not? He did. Yeah. Um, ben Campbell had a big, uh, a big recording of the last thing on my mind. Right. Uh, right. He he was an incredible artist. I he mean, was. That man. Uh, before he was before he had his first hit, which was "Gentle on My Mind," he was the number one acoustic guitar session man in, in Los Angeles. Right. Right. Um, yeah, was. He was the one they all got. Up uh, to go to record on, you know, he recorded with everybody. Right, right. Phenomenal guitarist. Yeah, 
Yeah, he really was great. And it seems that you have also, like Glenn Campbell, crossed genres because Daryl Wayne, my director, and I, we have conversations. You know, was Glenn Campbell a country star or a pop star? Was he a rock and roller? You know, because after he played with the Beach Boys. And so we have these, we have, we love these conversations. And you're kind of in that category because so many different people have recorded your songs that you have very fairly uh, been uh, put it in the same station as Woody Guthrie in that everybody wants to do those songs <laughs> and they become part of the yeah. American songbook, which is very tough to do. Yeah. Yeah. You know, one of my, one of my favorite recordings, uh, was, uh, of the last thing I, of, of, uh, whose garden was this mm-hmm. right. was recorded by, Dame Vera Lynn, who was uh, the force's sweetheart in World War II, singing, uh, there'll be bluebirds over the white cliffs of Dover. She was the leading uh, British recording star during the, and then I met her late in her life uh, when I was living in London for a while with my family and, um, she recorded, she, uh, recorded Whose Garden Was This? She sang it, uh, in Holland. Um, and she asked me to write another verse for it. She felt it was one verse short. Oh, and wow. so I wrote what I, I now, when I sing it, I think of this as the virulent verse about whose forest was this? Why is empty? Why is it empty? Um, and that's my virulent verse. And I always sing it, and I always think of her when I do. Uh, but you know, that was, you talk about unexpected joy. I mean, to have someone like Vera Lynn record a song of yours. Yeah. Right. And, but, and, uh, and she, I, she, I she, yeah. you recorded that in, ni- in 1970. Did you not perform that at the first Earth Day event? Yeah. Yeah, I was at the first Earth Day event. Uh, and I was at, in New York and Union Square and Mayor John Lindsay was there. Paul, Paul, uh, Newman, uh, read something and, uh, it was a, a big deal. Right. And, uh, when I, I wrote the song for that occasion and I thought, well, I'll sing this once or twice, uh, because it's, you know, a big event and, I'll let it go after that. And, of course, I'm still singing it uh, all these years later. This is a song for the planet Earth, which needs all the songs it can get. Whose garden was this? It must have been lovely Did it have flowers? I've seen pictures of flowers And I'd love to have smelled one Whose river was this? You say it ran freely Blue was its colored I've seen blue in some pictures And you tell me you've been there Tell me again, I need to know The forest 
wayside trees The meadows were green The oceans were blue When birds really flew Can you swear that was true? sky was this or was it a blue one nights there were breezes I've heard records of breezes and you tell me you felt one I tell me again I need to know the forest had trees the meadows were green the oceans were blue Can you swear that was true? Whose garden was this? It must have been lovely. Did it have flowers? I've seen pictures of flowers, and I'd love to smell Our guest is Tom Paxton, the singer-songwriter, speaking about uh, his songs and people who influenced him and the people that he has influenced. And also, Tom, your work in the environmental uh, movement uh, on the Hudson River with the Sloop Clearwater that was founded by your buddy uh, 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 Pete Seeger. Uh, And you've continued that work that he really started, and now that's, uh, that's that's an important annual event, is it not? It is, although it's uh, it stopped during the uh, COVID, and mm-hmm. and it has. When did I sing there last? I mean, I, it's not this. They're not doing it this year for sure. Uh, the question is whether it's uh, going to resume or not. I don't. Uh, I don't. I don't know. But right. I know that it's possibly uh, uh, concluded. Oh, for the time being, hopefully it'll, it'll, because it, it seems like an important annual event. Oh, yeah. You kind of, and of course the Hudson River is. is much cleaner now than it was 30 years ago or 40 years ago. It's like. Much, better. much cleaner. Hey. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. Wow. And, and when we do it, we go up uh, a day early and have an evening sail on the Hudson on the Clearwater, which is, uh, that's a real treat. Right. May I ask this question? During the 60s as a young guy, uh, you know, with, with his songs, were you ever on Jack Parr? Were you on Steve Allen? Did they, did they, did they put you on the air? No, no, I did the Merv Griffin show and Mike Douglas. All right. Those were the two, uh, shows that I did a few times. Okay. So those are big but shows. N- I never. Yeah. Actually, I was on the, I was on the Tonight Show. Kind of. Mm-hmm. Um, it was when uh, Bill Cosby was uh, uh, co was guest hosting, and uh, I knew I knew Bill from uh, the Gaslight in the Village, which is where where he started, and I was there at the same time. So we were friends, and when he was he he had me on the, but I was on last, and. Uh, they didn't even let me sing. There was no time. They just brought me out and we talked for about two minutes and, 
and uh, that was the end of that. So I don't, I don't really think, I don't put that in my credits that I have done the Tonight Show. I, I was just there. Okay, so in retrospect, in retrospect, looking back on it, you know, 30, 40 years ago when that occurred, were you considered, uh, like Pete Seeger, simply too radical for national TV? I don't know. I don't know what they thought of me. Um, they certainly didn't think of me as a rock star or anything like that. Um, I kind of an odd duck, probably. Um, but. Maybe, maybe, you know, the fact that I was you know, involved in the civil rights movement and the anti-war movement, uh, that that couldn't have helped me uh, in the, the upper suites. No, probably not. And the reason I ask that is because I remember watching Johnny Carson once, and Pete Seeger was on doing a work song, and he was chopping wood uh, during the skit, you know, and, and singing. Yeah. And there was another comedian, there was a comedian on who as soon as Pete Seeger was finished, the comedian starts saying how Pete Seeger smells. He was obviously making fun of Pete Seeger and Johnny Carson looked aghast. I don't know why they were actually showing this. I was a teenage boy watching and I thought, this is interesting. They're going after uh, Pete Seeger and Johnny Carson is kind of not thrilled, but they did it anyway. And so I guess, uh, I guess they felt this guy is just, you know, he's anti-war and therefore, uh, they don't want him yeah. out. And, uh, I do remember yeah. the moment. I didn't not, not see memory. that. Yeah. I, I mean, it's funny, I, you know, I was memory as a kid of things that you see and some things that really, uh, stick with you. And, uh, so, but when you did Mike Douglas, uh, that was already in the early seventies. Yeah, yeah, that would be uh, very late sixties, early seventies. And Merv Griffin, that was also in the early. And, and I did I did David Frost show as well. Oh, really? Oh my God! Yeah, well, that was the week that was, yeah. or, or later than that. And 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 once in, in in England, I did the Tom Jones show. Oh, really? Really? So yeah. Was he nice to you? Was he nice what to a you? nice what a nice man! By mm-hmm. the way, what a what a nice man! He just made me very. Welcome. Yeah, he's still working. He just did a he did a version of uh, I know he is Hallelujah, uh, uh, which was actually pretty decent. You know what I mean? He did a decent job of that Hallelujah. Uh, so I, w- uh, I wonder if the if they still un- throw underwear on on the stage. <laughs> uh, but what a voice! What a singer! <laughs> Holy moly! Yeah, yeah. Well, at the truth, when the men, you know, when, when I watch men working, you know, the, in, in showbiz. Or Judy Collins, you know, working. I'm thinking, I'm interested. I'm interested, you know. I mean, it's, I guess it's a shame that Judy Collins is no longer 21, you know, but I think, okay, it doesn't, it's fine with me. I'm happy to watch them. I think they have something yeah. to say, something to add. And for example, the, the song uh, Hallelujah, which is uh, been recorded by young people, but also older people. Didn't John Cage, who was in Velvet Underground, he did a version of Hallelujah, which brings a certain yeah. amount of Mature heft to the song, and everyone liked it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's Have you a ever great done song. Hallelujah, by the way? Have you ever done Hallelujah on stage? No. no. Would you consider no. it? Uh, no. No, no. Why not? No, uh, no. I I admire the song very much, but uh, my job my job is to do the songs I write. Oh, okay, okay, okay. I'm just, okay. Uh, I'm not trying to be uh, be. It's be a great a great song. Man. Yeah. Um, 
I, I knew Leonard Cohen, although I hadn't seen him in many years. Um, but what a, what a gentleman he is. He oh. was, he was a very, very sweet man. Yeah. And he certainly had a gift for, uh, for, for, for writing verse, didn't he? I mean, he kind of changed music oh. a little bit because there was, no, there was no one else in his genre. You know, he, he was kind of by himself in his ability yeah. to write songs. Yeah. I thought so. Yeah, he was really he was well liked, and did much better as an older man, I think, as a, than as a younger man uh, singing to the public. Yeah, it was which is kind of interesting. Yeah, yeah, very interesting, really. Wow. And where are you going to be appearing shortly? Where are you? Where are you working now? Well, it's hard to say right now because uh, one of my partners, uh, John Vesner, is one of the Don Juans. Uh, he's in poor health at the moment. So we've, we've had to reschedule, not cancel, but reschedule, uh, several shows on, it'll, I think it'll be the autumn before we do anything. I'm doing a couple of solo things around here in Washington. Right. Um, that, that I've been done for many, many years, a little summer things in the parks. Um, but uh, I don't know when we're going to get back out there, and I'm, you know, <laughs> I don't have that much time left, so um, I don't, I, I really don't know at the moment what's coming up. If Keith Richards is still alive and he's still working, then yeah. maybe there's, that's then there's hope for years. me. That's right, <laughs> twenty-five years on on the stage. You know what I mean? Sure, sure. Yeah. Well, I'm I'm just about to con- conclude. 63 years of performing. Right. Uh, and, and I'm not done yet. Um, and may I say, but, are, are you proud of yourself? Are you happy that people are still interested in your ideas? Does that make you feel good? God, yes. Oh, yeah. It's, uh, that there's still, there's still people who want to hear wh- what I do and, right. and, uh, what a privilege that is. I mean, I'm very grateful for that. Yes, yeah, nice that's nice to hear you say that and you realize that it is a privilege because you real as you get older you realize, yeah, people like my ideas, they they like my performance, yeah. they, they like the sound that I've created. Because you don't really sound like anybody yeah. else. You really you don't you sound no. like <laughs> which is like that's very difficult to do, actually. Uh and you you've done it. Well, one uh, yeah. it's hard to sound like anything but yourself. Uh well, that's nice of you what to say. Else? What wait, else am I got? Wait, wait a second, Tom. So our guest is Tom Paxton, the singer-songwriter. Tom, if you listen to a lot of country music uh, these days on the radio, there are country singers, and they don't sound like themselves. They don't sound like Hank Williams or something. They sound like a guy trying to sound what he thinks like a country singer sounds like. And I'm thinking that's why this song is so mediocre, because there's no real voice yeah. to it. Well, I have a... I kind of feel the way you do. Uh, when I when I want to hear country music, I want to hear Willie. Right. I want to hear Alan Jackson. Right. I like Brad Paisley a lot. Oh yes, yeah, and, and um, but a lot of people sound more like pop singers and country singers. And yes. A lot of that has to do with the uh, the arrangements and the presentations. A lot. Of, very, very. Put it this way: um, at this point, I, I know quite a few artists uh, living in Nashville, 
and and not one of them is involved in the country music machine. Uh, the one exception to that would be Vince Gill. I, I, I've I've met him a time or two, and and I, I have enormous respect for him. Right. Um. But he's he's the only one I know who's engaged in commercial country music. Everybody else are doing their own thing. Right. Right. And by the way, have many country artists, you know, of this generation, have they picked up on your songs? Because I think that your songs from the 60s that may have been seen as pretty radical or progressive, the country audience today might think, gee, we like these songs. We can embrace them. Is that Are you being marketed that way, if I can ask that question? I don't think so. Um I'm not really being marketed um, at all. I mean, I have an agent, and I do a lot of lot of performing. Right. But it's really uh, not part of any genre that I know. I mean, I'm a folk singer, really. Right. And it's it's the audience that listens to traditional folk music that listens to me primarily. Right. Um. How about forming up with uh, Chris Christopherson, you and he going out and doing something? That would that should be good for both of you. I met him through Steve Goodman uh, back in the seventies. Uh, uh, we were we met him at uh, he was great friends with Christopherson, and he introduced me. He says, "Chris, this is Tom Paxton," and and Christopherson said, "Tom Paxton says I've been stealing songs from you for years." Oh wow, <laughs> wasn't true. <laughs> Wasn't true. Wow. Wasn't true, but it was fun. It was funny and and, <laughs> and, uh, and nice. It's very nice. Oh my goodness! Yeah, he's certainly a major talent. Yeah. Uh, and 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 embraced oh. many people. People like Chris Christopher. Oh. Of course, all genres. Frankly, he kind of broke genres there. Yeah. Oh yeah. He crossed over. Everyone just liked Chris Christopherson. Right. Uh, oh. And you know he sang stuff that was well. There's there's never been a better song than Sunday Morning Coming Down. I mean, it's oh, yeah. a masterpiece oh, of wow. songwriting. Okay, that's coming from Oh, okay, so you're, that, okay, thank you. Because I, I tell you, I, I like that song, but I'm glad that you like it so much. It was just so nicely structured, in your opinion? Oh, oh, perfectly done. Okay. And also, me and Bobby McGee. I mean, it's just a great song. I was on a show once where we sang songs that we wished we had written, and I sang "Me and Bobby McKee. Right, right. That is that is a very good song. That is a very good song. Yes. Uh, and what was the name of the woman who did it herself? Uh, why am I forgetting her name? Uh, Janice Joplin. Yeah. Well, her version actually was yeah. very very nice as well. She made it into a. It was. This is good, frankly. Just as good. Yeah. Yeah, that is a great song too. That song kind of crossed uh, boundaries everywhere. That was a marvelous song. Well, who else would you like to uh, say nice something nice about uh, other than Chris Christopherson? <laughs> well, oh, by the way, your, oh. your buddy Bob Dylan, who recorded one of your songs, I believe, forty years after he said he was going to. Uh, yes. He, 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 <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he said, you know that song of yours that uh, that. Uh, 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 and he's going to sing her song. I said, I'm going to cut that. And that was in 71, and, and he just did it about, you know, six or seven years ago. <laughs> so good thing I wasn't holding my breath. No. And did he, did he call you before you called and said, listen, I'm, I'm doing your song. Is that okay? Did he call you? 
Nah. Nah. <laughs> just did it. Just did it. And did you, by the and way... The, the funny thing about it was that he got the lyric he sang word perfect. Huh. And not one note of the melody was the same as mine. <laughs> so, oh, I see. Oh, my goodness. What the hell? Right, right. Well, Tom Paxton, thank you it very was... much. Tom Paxton, I'm thrilled. Oh. Uh, for those just tuning in now, you, Tom Paxton, I just had Tom Paxton on the show. Let me say his name once again, Tom Paxton, on Here's to Your Health with Joshua Lane, one of America's great singer-songwriters. This is Josh. We'll take a short break. We'll be right back after these important messages. Medical scientists worldwide are encouraging people to eat more fish. And most American diets are low in important omega-3 oils. Omega-3 oils are the vital components of fish that provide numerous health benefits. Carlson Elite Omega-3 Gems supply concentrated amounts of these omega-3 oils that are needed to support vision, brain function, and a healthy heart. Each great-tasting Carlson Elite Omega-3 Gem Soft Gel contains 1,250 milligrams of fish oil from deep, cold-water fish. That supplies a full 800 milligrams of omega-3s, all in only one easy-to-swallow soft gel. You can take Carlson fish oils with confidence, for they are tested for purity, potency, and freshness by an independent FDA-registered laboratory. Ask for Carlson Elite Omega-3 Gems at your favorite natural food retailer today. Welcome to this edition of Here's to Your Health. I'm your host, Josh Lane. My guest is Scott Tips. Scott, a regular contributor to the show. Scott is the president of the National Health Federation, a consumer organization helping us and, of course, helping the world, too, the world's consumers, uh, since the mid-1950s, and Scott always keeps us up to date on important legislation that absolutely affects us. Scott, welcome to the show. Thank you, Josh. Nice to be on as usual. Thank you. Very happy to have you on the show, and happy for the timely and important information that you always offer the listeners of Here's to Your Health. And as I understand it, uh, uh, Senator Cory Booker has introduced legislation, with I'm, I'm sure other senators as well, but what is the new legislation that you're actually pleased with? Well, we're super pleased with the fact that uh, Senator Cory Booker, the New Jersey um, senator, and he's been supported by uh, Kirsten Gillibrand, Bernie Sanders, Elizabeth Warren, and Brian Schatz. Mm-hmm. They very commendably reintroduced into the 118th Congress legislation called Protect America's Children from Toxic Pesticides Act of 2023. It's Senate Bill number 269, as I recall. And um, unlike kind of most congressional bills, this proposed legislation has a title that actually means what it says. The bill intends to amend the uh, Federal Insecticide, Fungicide, and Rodenticide Act. doesn't sound very uh, romantic or interesting, but it actually quite is. 
and its intent is to ban organophosphate pesticides like chlorpyrus, uh, pyrophos, and malathion, with both of which are linked to brain development and cancer issues in children, and also to ban um, uh, insecticides that are linked to a decline in pollinators, mm-hmm. as well as the weed killer paraquat. Now, the funny thing is that the U.S. EPA, Environmental Protection Agency, so-called uh, protection agency, allows use in the U.S. of a huge number of uh, pesticides and herbicides that are actually banned in most other countries for their toxicity and what they're doing. You know, in um, Europe, they've noted that 550 million songbirds and birds in general in Europe are no longer around. And no kidding. Although some wow. of it's linked to urbanization and that sort of thing, uh, a lot of it's linked to the use of pesticides and herbicides. Right. We've just got to do something to rein this in. There's so many, uh, and it's increasing every year, so much in the way of uh, pesticides. One billion pounds of pesticides are used in the U.S. alone each and every year. 5.6 billion pounds are in use in total worldwide. And this is just killing us, literally. It's causing developmental problems, fertility problems, uh, men becoming women, women becoming men because of the endocrine disruptive uh, effects of these pesticides. And uh, we're seeing amphibian populations decline, human populations affected. It's, it's something's got to be done. So we really support Senator Booker's bill, Senate 269, and everyone out there listening to this should support it as well. Now, on Government Tracker, they only give a 2% chance of it being passed, 2%. So that tells us we need to get organized and do something to promote this bill and get, make sure it passes. And it's not a wimpy bill. It has some real hard and fast uh, requirements in it that if the EPA doesn't take action, then Paraquat, for example, is just banned flatly. And and the EPA has to take action on Paraquat within a certain period of time or it's banned. The bill also gives uh, private causes of action to parties to do something if EPA doesn't do anything. And and very importantly, it doesn't preempt local and state legislation that might be tougher. So it's really a good bill all around. The only flaw that I see in it is it doesn't do a thing about Roundup or glyphosate. However, you know, there's such a powerful lobby behind glyphosate, behind Roundup. I think maybe it was good strategy on uh, Booker's part to just take on what he could take on right now and then later on down the line take on glyphosate. But um, but it's a good start. It's a good bill. Wow. Our guest is Scott Tipps. Scott Tipps, the president of the National Health Federation, a consumer organization doing excellent work since the mid-1950s. Scott was just mentioning to us this new Senate bill, uh, Senate Bill Number Two Sixty Nine, uh, sponsored by uh, Senator Cory Booker. 
Scott, we've got about 30 seconds left. Give us your contact information once again for the National Health Federation. Oh, sure. You know, go to www.thenhf.com. That's T-H-E and then our initials, N-H-F.com, thenhf.com. Come up to our homepage, click on campaigns. It'll take you right there. And, um, you know, uh, thank you to all the people who take action because it's going to be the concerted action of all of us that's going to make this happen. It's not going to be just one individual. Right. Well, Scott, thank you very much. Our guest has been uh, Scott Tips, the president of the National Health Federation, a very influential consumer group, been around since the mid-1950s, the National Health Federation. I'm a big fan of the work of Scott Tips and of the, of, of the organization. This is Josh Lane. We're going to take a short break. We'll be right back after these important messages. The latest from the greatest, the best in new music by classic rockers, with your host, the insane Daryl Wayne. This is Alice Cooper, and if Daryl Wayne is insane, what does that make me? criminally insane. Stick around to find out. Many of the artist interviews for the latest from the greatest have been captured on audiobook. There is a volume one and volume two. Great information and conversations with people in the industry and people surrounded by the industry and of course the rock stars themselves. I'm the Reverend Al Green and you're listening to The Insane Daryl Wayne and I said Wayne Insane. You can find it on Amazon or Blackstone Audio. Search for the latest from the greatest from Daryl Wayne, D-A-R-R-E-L-L-W-A-Y-N-E. Hello, this is Weird Al Yankovic, and you're listening to the insane Daryl Wayne, aren't you? (laughs) Thank you for tuning in to this edition of Here's to Your Health with Joshua Lane. If you have any questions about the guests or topics discussed tonight, please give us a call at 818-707-0005. That number is 818-707-0005. This is Josh Lane. On behalf of the cast and crew, I would like to wish you a healthy and safe good evening.